The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. And uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. You are joining us as we begin a new sermon series. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we concluded our Summer in the Psalms, has been our custom in the last four or five summers. We've uh, gone to that beautiful Old Testament book, but, but the summer is over. We're into the fall, and uh, we are turning our attention to the New Testament, uh, specifically uh, portions of Matthew's Gospel. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13. Because uh, beginning this morning and continuing until we uh, reach the season of Advent, we'll be looking at Jesus' kingdom parables. Jesus' kingdom parables. Now, now, if you've read the Bible, if you've uh, read through the Gospels, if you're familiar with the New Testament, then you know that Jesus himself taught in parables many, many times. Parables was a common way in which Jesus would communicate his truth and he would communicate to his disciples and to the crowds. But what is a parable? A uh, parable is not unique to the Bible. There are parables in, in many different cultures. Parables are figures of speech. They're stories that convey deeper meaning. One theologian put it this way. He said, a parable is a metaphor drawn from life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, leaving the mind in enough doubt about its significance to tease it into active thought. So in other words, a parable is a story or, to, or a metaphor based on a common experience that will often challenge our preconceived notions and reveal to us a better, and in Jesus' case, in the case of his parables, a more biblical understanding. And so Jesus uses parables all the time to help us understand different aspects of biblical faithfulness, to instruct us about how we are to love our neighbor, about forgiveness, about how we are to approach God, and about his kingdom. And those are the parables we're going to focus on. But before we jump into the individual parables, the first one, the sower, which we'll look at next week, before we jump into them, we're, we're going to spend some time this morning hearing from Jesus as to why he taught in parables. And this comes in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17. So if you haven't already turned in your Bibles, please turn there now. Uh, you can follow along in the Bibles and the chairs in front of you as well. But before I read the passage, we need to know the context. The context is that the crowds have come to see Jesus. They have heard his teaching. Many have experienced his miracles or, or something that they have never seen before, and they're coming maybe to see some more of this. And it's not hard for us to imagine that this might be what's drawing the crowds, the fact that Jesus is this miracle worker, this great teacher. It's not hard for us to imagine because in the chapters leading up to Matthew 13, this is what Jesus has been doing. He's been performing miracles. He's been giving great teaching. In fact, in chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, just those two chapters, there are recorded over 10 different miracles. 10 different miracles in two chapters. And so it's easy for us to imagine that the crowd is coming to receive this teaching, to see a miracle, to experience something that they had never experienced before, to see a spectacle. It's not hard to imagine that because this is what we do, isn't it? I mean, we like to see spectacles. 
we hear of great things, we don't have to go anywhere, we just click, right? We just click on the computer and we can watch all these crazy and amazing things, things maybe we've never seen before, things that we've only heard, things that are getting all sorts of clickbait, right? This isn't anything new. This is what humans do. We like spectacles. We like to see the things that we have never seen before. Did you know on September 15th, 1904, Wilbur Wright of the Wright brothers, Wilbur Wright, he flew for the very first time and did a turn for the very first time in an airplane. It was the first time a plane had ever turned. <laughs> September 15th, 1904, and five days later, he did something that had never been done before. He, he did a complete circle in midair. These were things that had never been seen, never been heard of. No one could even imagine it, and yet there he was doing it, and no one was there to see it, except for him and his brother and maybe a few friends. There were no newspaper men, there were no photographs, there were no military personnel wondering how they could implement this new invention into war. No, there was no one to see it, but, but we know that word of what they were doing spread, right? And it spread not just from the little area of North Carolina or Ohio where they were from, but it spread all over the world so that people from all over the world came to see them fly these new inventions. And so the crowds would come and gather at these makeshift landing strips and they would look to the air in hopes that they would see these planes. But could you imagine if the crowds came and they expected to see a flight, they expected to see these planes circling overhead and the Wright brothers that day decided, you know, I don't feel like flying. You know, I, I know you've come from all over the world, from all over the country. I know you want what you want to see, but we're, we're kind of tired. Like, look at the plane. Don't touch it. Like, don't get too close because it's kind of fragile. But you can look at the plane. You can walk around and come back in a few days. Maybe then we'll fly. How do you think the crowd would respond? Probably be disappointed, right? Frustrated, annoyed. Why aren't you flying today? This is why we came. We came to see a spectacle. We came to see what we have never seen before. They would wonder why. Why they came to see the amazing and all they saw was nothing. And it's something of that that's happening here in our passage. Because as the crowds have gathered to hear Jesus, to see something that they have never seen before, to witness a miracle, what does Jesus give them? A parable. Surely the crowd walked away confused, unsure of why Jesus would give them a parable. His disciples themselves were confused because in verse 10 they asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? In other words, Jesus, why not teach them plainly? Why not communicate clearly? Why not give the people what they want? Why parables? Well, the rest of our passage is Jesus answering that question. So let's follow along, beginning in verse 11. In response to that question, why do you speak to them in parables, we, we read, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they, can, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that as we come to it now that you would make us people who truly see and people who truly hear. Remove the scales from our eyes, unplug our ears, soften our hearts. Father, help us to understand so that we would be people who know the secrets of your kingdom. We would be people who turn in repentance to you. We would be people who would follow you and love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So you hear why Jesus is speaking in parables, right? He told us to reveal. That's why he speaks in parables, to reveal. And to reveal what he's revealing depends on who the hearer is. So to some, the parables reveal that they're in the dark, but to others, the parables reveal that they are in the light. And that's how I want us to look at this passage this morning about these two different groups that have heard the parable, who have heard the parable of the sower, that that Jesus is saying to some of them, I'm revealing that they're in the dark. That's the first group of people, and we hear of them in verses 13 through 15. Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he says, these people are a fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Okay, so Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6, and if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, you know that Isaiah 6 is the call of God to Isaiah to be his prophet. Isaiah is the great high priest that year. He comes and he enters into the Holy of Holies, right? And he is confronted by the presence of God. And what happens to Isaiah? He's completely undone. Right? Woe is me, he says, for I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I serve a people of unclean lips. Right? He's totally undone because he knows in the presence of the Lord, because of his sin, because of his rebellion, he cannot stand. And what he deserves is punishment and judgment. So what happens? The seraphim, right? They fly, they grab the burning coal, they stick it to his lips, and brings purity, purification, healing. And God says, who will go? Who will I send? And Isaiah says, I will go. And so God gives him a message to take to the people, to the people who had been in rebellion against God. You see, for the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, we hear about the people's sin, about how they're turning from the Lord, how they were engaging in wickedness. And now Isaiah is to go and proclaim the message of God. And as he does so, it actually functions to harden the people's hearts. Because seeing, they don't truly see. And hearing, they don't truly hear. And what Jesus is telling us is that some of those who were in the crowd that day are like those people in Isaiah's day. 
Like those who heard Isaiah's message, for their hearts have grown dull. They're calloused. You see, they have seen or heard what Jesus has done, his miracles and teaching. They have heard him, and yet, when they see him, their eyes are still closed. When they hear him, their ears have gone deaf. This is kind of like hearing a language but not knowing the language. So for my money, French is the most beautiful language there is. It's so pretty. And I'm not talking about Canadian French. Uh, I grew up hearing... I grew up hearing Canadian French. My mother spoke French and sometimes would would speak French in our presence. Now, Canadian French is kind of harsh. It's kind of uh, got a roughness to it. No, I'm talking about like Parisian French, like French French. That is beautiful, right? It is beautiful. It just seems to roll off the tongue. It sounds like music, right? And so so you can listen to it and you can hear people speak French and and the way that they uh, accent certain syllables and the way the words run together, it, it is beautiful. And you can appreciate the beauty of the language, but if you don't know it, you don't understand what they're saying. So they could be calling you a name, and you would never know it. (laughs) Thank you. That was very beautiful. (laughs) Right? You can know it, you can hear it, but really not know it. You can hear it, but not truly hear it. You can hear it and not understand it. And that's what's happening to the crowd. You see, the crowds hear the beauty of Jesus' words. They've seen the miracles he's performed, but they haven't truly seen or truly heard because if they had, they would repent. That's what Isaiah said, that they would see Jesus not just as a tickler of ears or a worker to be transfixed by his miracles, but that they would see him as Lord and they would turn to him, that they would turn away from their wickedness and evil and they would see him as he truly is. But that's not what they do. They don't repent. And because of their repentance, Jesus says in verse 12, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. Now, Jesus isn't speaking about economics here. He's not talking uh, business, okay? So he's not talking like the wealthy will get wealthier, the rich will get richer, and the poor will get poorer. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about isn't economic circumstances. What he's talking about is spiritual circumstances. He's talking about the matters of the heart. And we know this. We've actually experienced this in our own lives. To the one who has much, much will be given, and to the one who has little will be taken. We've experienced this because just think about when we give in to temptation. And we give in to sin. Right? The first time we give in to sin, maybe we fought it a little bit, but we gave in. We gave in to temptation. And, and then the next time, and, and then the next time, and, then, and it becomes easier and easier, doesn't it? That the 10th or the 20th or the 100th or the 200th time we give in to it, like sometimes we, we don't even realize we're engaging it because it's become second nature. But we also know the, the opposite is true, that, that as we rest in God's love, as we grow in his holiness, as we look to his word, as it, as it takes root in our hearts and it grows and it develops, that, that those are the things that our minds run to, that those are the things that we cling to, that, that we pursue holiness and, and truth and beauty and righteousness, that becomes second nature, right? To the one who has been given, more will be added, and to the one who has less, it will even that be taken away. We know what this is like. 
you've experienced it, how, how a lustful thought can take root and it can just continue to roll. How, how a gossiping word can cause us to just be flippant with our tongues. How, how it just continues to produce, right? Sin begets sin, but, but holiness begets holiness. He's speaking about spiritual abundance or spiritual lacking. And so what Jesus is actually doing here in this explanation of parables is he's warning us. He's warning us not to close our eyes or to clog our ears because to do so would mean judgment. It would mean that he would take away even that which we had. He's warning us and calling us to repent so that we truly would hear and that we would truly see. And so you see, the parables are are actually showing us that some are in the dark. But it's also telling us that some are in the light. That's the other group that Jesus speaks to, and we hear him speaking to them in verses 11 through 12. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then verses 16 through 17. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, so Jesus is speaking to the disciples here. And so I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Okay, you put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You were part of the crowd, right? You heard the same things that the crowd heard. You heard the parable that Jesus gave them. There was no miracle. There was no uh, great teaching time. It was a story, a parable of the sower. You heard what they heard, but the crowds have gone away. But you get to go be with Jesus still. The crowd has walked away, and maybe they're perplexed, they're confused, they're unsure. But, but even though you're confused and you're unsure, you at least get to go and talk to Jesus. You at least get to ask him, like, so why parables? You're not one of those people. You know, those people, those people who were part of the crowd, but they've left. Those people who who don't see, who don't know, who don't believe, you're not one of those people. Because when they're returning home, you're returning with Christ. It'd be pretty easy to start getting a little puffed up now, wouldn't it? Start feeling pretty good about yourself. Come on, y'all. If it were us, wouldn't we walk a little taller? I mean, sure, we're confused, we're unsure. We, we really have no idea what he's talking about, but, but at least we're with him, right? I mean, they don't see, but, but my side, it's 2020. They don't hear, but, but my hearing, it's pitch perfect. They're in the dark, and I'm in the light. Well, now, y'all, before we start getting too puffed up, before we start feeling too good about ourselves, did you notice what Jesus said about the kingdom? It has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom. And so there's two things he's saying about the kingdom. One, he's saying it's a secret. It's a secret. What's interesting is this is the only time in the book of Matthew where this Greek word is used. All uh, the, the vast majority of times in which this Greek word is used, it's in the Pauline epistles, and it's most commonly translated as mystery. But when you hear the language of mystery or secret, don't, don't think like masterpiece, theater, murder, mystery sort of thing. Okay, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
He's not talking about like this, this occasion where the smart and discerning and observant detective can figure it all out. No, this is a mystery or a secret that is not discernible by one's own wisdom, but it's something that needs to be revealed to us. It's kind of like the story of Joshua Bell. So some of you may uh, remember this story of Joshua Bell. He was a world-class violinist. He still is a world-class violinist. But a number of years ago, for 43 minutes, he played his violin on the platform of L'Enfant Plaza in D.C. And there he stood with his Stradivari, his 1713 Stradivari, worth $3.5 million, wearing jeans, a long-sleeved T-shirt, and a Nationals hat. And he played his violin few steps down from the shoeshine lady. And for 43 minutes, over a thousand different people walked by him. And most of the people took no notice. Most of the people had no idea that they were walking past one of the greatest violinists in the world and that he was playing this amazing, amazing instrument. They just walked by. Sure, some stopped, they threw some coins in his case, and they were probably a little perplexed because normally you don't see a violin on the subway plaza, right? But they walked by and had no idea who he was until a few days later when a reporter returned and revealed to some of those commuters who it was that was playing. And when it was revealed, some of them asked, will he come back? Now that we know who it is, will he come back and play again? But you see, just listening to him, just looking at him, they had no idea who he was. They had no idea until the secret had been revealed. And that's what Jesus is telling us. We are like those who are walking past the violinist and we have no idea who he is. The secret needs to be revealed, the true secret of the kingdom. This is why Jesus says that it has been given to know, that, that to you it has been given to know. So that's the second part. The first part of the kingdom is it's a secret. The second part is that our knowledge is given. You see, that word given is in the passive form, and theologians called a divine passive, which means that God is the agent performing the action. And so what that means is that the disciples and everyone after them, including me and including you, that those who hear and see the secret of the kingdom, we do so only because God has revealed it to us. That apart from God's grace and his mercy, his disciples on that day and we as his disciples today, we would be like those people on the shore who walked away confused and unsure of what Jesus is saying. Apart from God's grace, we would still be in the dark. But thanks be to God that we're not. Right? That we, we do see that the scales have been removed from our eyes, that our ears have been unclogged, that that we can see Jesus for who he truly is and we can hear his teaching as it really is. That, that we are not those who are in the dark, but we have been brought into the light. And y'all, the fact that God has done this to us, to me and to you, the fact that, that he has revealed the secret of his kingdom to us, this, this should cause a great many different responses, right? Like praise and worship and obedience and falling down in homage and humility. I mean, I've said it before, but it's worth repeating that Christians of all the people in the world should be the most humblest people 
because we know that there is nothing about us, there is nothing in us that have caused us to see God for who he is. But that he has removed the scales and he has opened our eyes and he has unclogged our ears and softened our hearts so that we can see and hear. He's done that for us. He's revealed the secrets of the kingdom. And what is the secret of the kingdom? Well, he tells us in verse 17. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And what is it that the prophets and the righteous ones of old long to see and to hear? What is the secret of the kingdom? It's that the Messiah has come. That the kingdom has come. That the king of the kingdom is in their presence. That is the secret. That like a seed planted in the earth, that the kingdom will spread. That it will grow. That it will encompass all the nations. That is the secret of the kingdom. It is the gospel of Jesus. That the kingdom has not come because of arms or because of power or because of politics or because of military might or because of intellect. The kingdom has come because of Christ. Because Jesus has come. The king of the kingdom is here. That is the secret of the kingdom. And so how will you respond? Let me conclude by giving one more illustration This comes from the Lord of the Rings, believe it or not. (laughs) But in the Fellowship of the Ring, there's this scene. You don't even have to have seen the movies to be able to follow along, so don't check out. But the peoples of Middle-earth have gathered to determine, to decide what they're going to do with this ring of power that they've found. Right, this ring of power that is the embodiment of all evil, that, that, that the one who wears it will be overtaken by evil. But if Sauron, the lord of the rings, has it, then he will vanquish all goodness and evil will reign. So what are they to do with the ring? And Aragorn, he stands up amongst these people, these elves and these dwarves and hobbits and wizards and men. And he says that, that no one can wield the ring. Because it is too evil, and it only answers to its master, and so we must destroy it. We must cast it into the fires of Mount Doom. We're hearing this. One of the other men, Boromir, he stands up and he says, what would a ranger know of this? You see, he looked at Aragorn, and all he could see was this man who was disheveled. His hair was long and greasy. His cloak was dirty from many years of wandering the earth. Age and fatigue and grime, that's what was caked on his body. And he looked upon Aragorn and he wondered, how could this person, how could someone like this ever have knowledge of this occasion? But then Legolas, the elf, stood up and he clarified who Aragorn was. He said, this is no mere ranger. He is Aragorn, son of Arathorn. You owe him your allegiance. He is heir to the throne. You see this ranger who was disheveled, who was filthy, who was dirty, who who people would look at and would pass over. He was actually the king. He was the king of promise, the one who would rise to the throne of Gondor. And how does Boromir respond when it's been revealed to him who Aragorn is? Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. You see, Boromir didn't have eyes to see the king. And even when it was described who he really was, Boromir refused to acknowledge him. 
And so the question we should be asking ourselves, are we acknowledging the king? That is the question we should be asking ourselves. That is the question that this passage is confronting us with. Are you seeing Jesus as he truly is or as you want him to be? Friends, the truth is, is we will only see him if he reveals himself to us. If he removes the scales from our eyes and unplugs our ears so we can hear his voice. And so let us pray and let us ask the Lord, open my eyes, unplug my ears, reveal the secret of your kingdom and lead me to repentance. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask that you would do that very thing that you would open our eyes and unplug our ears so that we would behold the beauty of our Savior, that we would hear his sweet words and we would be led to repentance, that we would fall before him and that we would follow him all of our days. So we pray that you would do this because apart from you, Father, we know we would remain in the dark. But thanks be to God that you have brought us into the light and so make us people who walk in that light. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.